Welcome to the Houdini RC Heli Podcast. This is Chapter 7. Today's date is 07-05-2020. Appreciate you guys getting back with us. Today we have Kenny and Brent has made it. Hey guys, Woo-hoo. how's it going? Hey guys. <laughs> Yay, everybody's back. Yay. Nobody got the corona. No. All good. Not, on wood. Thank not yet. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Tomorrow's a new day though. <laughs> one day at a time like i always say i'll start off with me for my regular week uh, work has been okay my sleep schedule has been completely jacked up due to working nights and i don't know i don't know what causes it but lately i've been trying to watch my weight a little bit more it's more like watching my weight not doing anything about it <laughs> <laughs> watching the scale number not actually doing anything but Maybe I'll start drinking a little bit less or try to watch what <laughs> nah, I'm eating. Just eat less and drink more. Yeah, that's, that's kind <laughs> of the diet. That's, a, that's, that's kind of like alcoholism. Yeah, so that's, never mind. <laughs> that's kind of like the diet I've been on. <laughs> <laughs> I actually started to, uh, I would call it jog run or uh, walk jog last week. So nice. not last week, the pretty much the last month, but last week I skipped it. But uh, at least I did something in the right direction that I can feel good about myself yeah just trying to get old i need to start taking care of myself a little oh, bit better than whatever. i have ever <laughs> i'm older than i was last year well you're older than you was yesterday no yeah but true you're not, you're not true. old enough to complain too much yet yeah <laughs> i can't wait to get old and just be an ass to everybody hopefully actually uh, in two days i will be older I don't know how old I am. I don't keep track of that. <laughs> it's depressing, but that's pretty much what my life's been like. Just still getting by. Daughters in college, wife and kids are spending money faster than I can make it or buy helicopters with it. So that's <laughs> my endeavors. You guys still hanging in there? Yeah, hanging in there. It's been a been a while for me. Let's see, going all the way back to mid-June. Turn off my AC so the sound isn't completely horrible on my end. <laughs> I apologize for that, guys. No, no problem. So back in mid-June, we had to put my dog down. So we had her for 14 years. So that was really tough on us, on the whole family. So um, it's been different. You know, we kind of, it was our first child. So, you know, it's yeah. been hard. Definitely can be. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do much flying like back then, um, around that time it was a little too sad to do anything else. Yeah. We've been just, you know, I've been doing some schoolwork and things like that. The governor went ahead and made masks mandatory. And I don't know about you guys in Texas, but here in Arizona, they're mandatory now. And then he pushed back the school year. So now we're not starting. We were supposed to start August 5th, I think, or August 8th. And now we're starting the 17th. So, so is when you say starting, you're an actual classroom setting? Yeah. Yeah. We're starting uh, like virtual learning. The regular first day of school will be virtual. And then um, the 17th is his goal date. But, you know, probably it'll get pushed back again. Who knows? 
because our numbers have been skyrocketing these last few weeks. Let's see, I've also been working out a little bit and trying to stay healthy as much as I can. I was going to the gym for a while, and then he ended up, the governor closed gyms last week. So I'm like, oh, that takes care of that. So I've been trying to get outside and run a little bit in the mornings before it gets too hot, but it's been getting pretty hot. So how do, how hot is hot? Um, <laughs> today it was like 103 or something, but next week it's supposed to get up to 110. And so. usually this is our monsoon season, so usually we're getting you know thunderstorms in the afternoon. We haven't gotten anything. It's different right now. Our monsoons hasn't haven't kicked in yet. So. Mm, right on key. Kenny's, <laughs> Kenny's still trying to win the game. And you, Kenny? If Brent's done. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. So I guess I win the flying award because I have gone out and flown twice. This year? No, this week. <laughs> I have yeah, you have been knocking it out. Year. But uh, I flew on Friday. Friday was the day off for us. And then uh, I flew again today, and so had a good time both times. Brought models back in one piece, so that's also a good thing. Yeah. As far as the masks, Brent mentioned earlier, <laughs> uh, the governor of of Texas decided that public places that we would wear masks, and this the mayor of. Marble Falls, which is basically where I'm at in Texas, he he decided that we would wear masks not only in public but also in businesses. And so, if I am in my office, I am now required to have a mask on. Oh, that's ridiculous! <laughs> You're by yourself, you mean? At all times, uh, employees and customers are required really? to have masks. Yes. Yeah, I can understand if somebody comes into your office, maybe put it on, but huh. I have. Yeah, it's getting a little strict here in Texas pretty soon. We're gonna have to wear them in the shower when you sleep. I was <laughs> <laughs> gonna have to have it on for the podcast just to make sure I'm yeah safe here. It'll be all muffled now. <laughs> hey, there is there's one spot in life where I'm gonna draw the line. I'm not gonna wear a mask during that. Yeah, we won't. We won't. Get on <laughs> I have no idea what that is. Yeah, I don't either. Well, that's cool. It's good to have Brent back. Um, it's been about one podcast, which equals a month. So we've been on the two week cycle, so good to have Brent back. Yep, had the yeah had the wedding anniversary, and my birthday was the week before that. So just yeah, I'm gonna have to start. Times. I'm gonna have to start keep, keeping track of when these holidays and Father's Day and stuff i'm not looking at and we go get to the day to do the podcast i'm like oh man <laughs> this is bad timing <laughs> not good for anybody so I, I definitely need to start keeping up on that just in case i need to pull one in early but it's good to have you back brent yep. it's good how's to be, it, good to be back how's the build been going flying? Uh, it's, it's going well um i've have put up some pictures of the beginning of the build up on the our website, our Facebook. Yeah, I'm still getting at it. I want to work on it a little bit each day next week, and I want to be able to bring it out to the field next weekend so my buddy can help me get everything set up and get a maiden flight on it. 
test it out and see how it goes. Good. Yeah, so I'm excited about that and went out flying today. Actually, I went flying a couple weeks ago too and almost crashed my T-Rex 500. It was one of those times I was doing a, a flip, but it was back, you know, going back towards me. And I lost, I, I turned, somehow I got the heli turned and it was coming towards me and I got, I freaked out and lost orientation and I almost put it in, but I saved it. So I guess that work on the sim is paying off because, <laughs> yeah, and, and those are good once in a while, those times when you're like, oh crap, you know, you don't know where, you know, it, it kind of gets you thinking and keeps you on your toes a little bit and pushing myself. So, so that's good. Yeah. I did that too this week. <laughs> I, I thought for sure it was in, you know, I was one of those, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to hit throttle hold, but I said, no, I'll try to get out of it. You don't have rescue set up or anything like that? No, no. I was just flying Spectrum, so I didn't have or Icon. So I wasn't using the Icon rescue or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't really get into the rescue. It does have rescue on it, but I just haven't really gotten into it. But well, You yeah. should try that sometime. Yeah, yeah, I should set it up because um, I heard it's pretty good, so. You have an Icon 2 or the the original V2? Um, on that one, I just have the regular, uh, the original version, but on the rest of my helis, I have the Icon 2. Yeah, it may not work as good on that one. I definitely yeah. bench test it first. Yeah, and that one's my beater heli, so if it would have gone in, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. Good. But um, yeah, it wasn't like it was my, my Gowie or anything. So It's good that mindset is starting to settle in. Yeah. Yeah, I was fine today. I've been watching my buddy uh, fly his uh, XL Power Spectre 700, and I, <laughs> I'm starting to want one now. So it's like, hey, it's I'm not even done building one. <laughs> yeah, haven't finished building this one yet. So yeah, they're a robust machine. One at a time. Yeah, yeah, take it slow. <laughs> yeah, but eventually, eventually, I want to get one of those. Those are pretty cool looking machines too. So, so, so what did you like about it? The Spectre 700 is just really locked in. I I haven't flown it, um, but just like the way I like the setup too. It's very similar to the setup of the um, of the Soxos, but still a little bit different. I like that it's a belted heli. I'm I'm I like belted helis. It seems like more than torque tube. The torque tube helis I've had or I have, like the Gowie and my uh, T Rex 500. Other people have built them for me. I've you know bought them used, so um, I've never really had attempted to put together a torque tube before. So I'm more used to belted helis because I had uh, I had goblins before, you know, which are belted helis, and I've built um, oxy three, you know, oxy threes and stuff like that. So never really have built a torque tube heli before. I'm sure I could do it. It's just more I'm I'm really comfortable with the belt, belted heli. Funny because I'm starting to lean away from torque tube helis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, belted helis. I mean. Oh, <laughs> the opposite. Yeah, the opposite. I yeah. still like torque tube helis. If you if you fly a torque tube model, you know one of the big differences that you're that you'll notice is is if you're spooled up and you land or when you land and your the model is still engaged if you just hit throttle hold 
and leave it at zero pitch. The time it takes to spin the head down is significantly more just because there's such there's so much less drag on the drivetrain. Mm -hmm. And hmm. so I kind of always put that into like autos. If you really wanted to do, you know, like those slow autos. Yeah. Uh, it just lend itself to doing autos better, at least for me. I'm not saying that all models are like that, but I know that torque tube, that it's, that's an attribute that a torque tube model will have is it'll really do nice autos. Okay. Yeah, and I uh, I was listening to the podcast you guys did, um, Chapter Eight, and you had you guys had talked about doing a routine on the sim, so I want to try to get that going too about getting a routine. I remember Richard, you were talking about the getting a routine going, a flying routine on the sim, and then going out and kind of doing a routine because I don't really have one right now. I'm noticing I just kind of go out there and do whatever. Yeah, I just do whatever, whatever. It's like, oh, I'll do this, and then I'll do this. But it's not flowing very well, you know, so. It's not easy. That's something I want to work on. Yeah, that's something I want to kind of start easy and just kind of do a really um, just a routine and come out and do that on the weekends when I have time. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll dive into the, that a little bit. But all right. how's the Saxos, anything stand out on the build or I'm going to leave it all? No, it's just really, it's, um, from what I've gone through so far, it's been just really easy. I like how everything you need is in the bag. So the bags are numbered and then everything, even the screws you need are all in those bags. Cause you've had other times, like when I was building a Gowie, it was just, they had the screws in all separate bags and you had to find the screw that the had, size. you know, the size. Yeah. So this one has all the parts and all the screws and all the washers and whatever you need all in the same bag. So you just dump it out and go through and look at the, you know, measure them and make sure you know which one's which. And so it's been pretty quick, pretty quick build, pretty easy build. Besides for the time, I can't remember what part it was, but I had to take something apart because I skipped a, I accidentally skipped a, a part in the, um, in the, in the build. So I had to go back and take something apart, but you know, that happens. Yeah. It's going to happen from time to time. Especially when it's a new helicopter to you, you haven't built one of those kits before. Yeah, yep. So yeah, I'm impressed so far. I'm really impressed. Good. So, um, hopefully, have more to talk about on the next uh, podcast. We'll get out and made in it and see how it goes. That's good. Heck yeah, that's a it's definitely definitely a nice looking helicopter. Oh yeah, yeah. That's gonna be a. It's gonna be your, the queen Maybe. of your fleet. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's unique from other models. Uh, the gear setup is very smooth or the drivetrain is very smooth. Yeah. Yeah. I can already tell just from putting the drivetrain together. It is very smooth. One of the things that I noticed on the Soxos is the machine work itself was just, you know, it was top shelf. It, uh, whoever did whatever company they have doing the CNC, work is they they did a very fine job as far as cutting the gears or or molding yeah i like yeah it looks it is smooth very i like how that middle section is um metal 
it's actually it's not plastic the section that holds the um, drivetrain and everything is metal and because I was talking to my friend today he's like is that plastic because he would think he was thinking it would break you know pretty easily if they're in a crash I'm like no it's metal he's like oh that's different so that was something I was kind of surprised about how that was metal yeah heli professionals which is the 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 designer Soxos is the name of the model, but Heli Professionals, they, you know, looked at it in a whole different manner whenever they started building that. Richard, what's that dude's name? The pilot, Duncan Bassion. Duncan Bassion. He was the one of the test pilots slash designers for not the Soxos, but the DB7, the models prior to that. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's unique, no doubt. Nice. Yeah. So I'm enjoying it. I'll get some more pictures up this week, so you guys can check the. Actually, this week would be the previous week, so just check the Facebook page because I'll have some updates and and things I'll put up there. Yeah. If you have any issues, let me know. I've been trying to uh, work on some stuff. Open yeah. up the web page a little bit more to others. Okay, I'm not the best Facebook person, and they just tried to switch from classic version to something else, so I had to undo it. Oh, okay. You got anything else? I'm gonna jump into mine since nope. we're, we're gonna ahead. have a um, main topic this time. Yep, go ahead. Go through it. After the last podcast, I went and flew my Oxy three the next day and decided to crash the complete crud out of it. I put some pictures up on Facebook. I don't know if I put any in the group or not, but I was trying to do, I was flying like 4,000 RPM and doing some double back over pyro flips, trying to bring the model back through negative and tried to do a two instead of one and oops to orientation and just plowed it straight into the asphalt. Yikes. It was pretty bad. Yeah, I remember the pictures. <laughs> yeah, all the normal stuff, but I did end up kind of taking out the motor Kind of took out the ESC, ended up uh, resoldering the ESC, getting that. Uh, the capacitors were all smashed. The wires were all stripped off. So I stripped all the wires off of it and resoldered them all and put new capacitors on. And then this afternoon I plugged it in and it blew up in my hand. Yikes. <laughs> Unfortunately, Kenny, I was not recording this. I was like, like I told you to record I, I, that. <laughs> I know, but in my mind, I'm thinking, it's, it's going to be a waste of time to go get somebody and record. I was like, it's nothing's going to happen. Um, yeah, you have to say, hold my beer before you did I that, though. Plugged you know, it in. Have somebody recording and say, hold my beer. <laughs> so so I, I, I stripped the ends of it off so I could just shove it into an EC5 4S 1300 or 1500 battery. And I plug in the you know plug in the ground first, and then I plug in the positive, and I'm sitting there holding the wires in there, you know, two three inches away from the ESC, and you know, <laughs> you, as soon as you plug it in, you hear the motor, chit, 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 and then pow, right on my hand, <laughs> like somebody shot a gun right off in front of my face. <laughs> I literally like looked at myself and was like, okay, I have five fingers still. That's a positive. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Yes. So I don't know if I messed up. The capacitors were hard to solder because there's two boards. There's an upper board and a lower board. And the capacitors 
one side solders on the top of the board, the other side of the capacitor solders on the bottom side of the board. And I don't know if I just screwed it up or I have no idea. I think I'm, at this point I'm just going to throw it in the trash or I have no idea. You should Maybe. send it back in for warranty. Some warranty. <laughs> Take all all of that stuff off and just send in the little module. No, just tell them that's how you received it. <laughs> it came this way. Clear heat shrink. <laughs> all rednecked out. Yeah. yeah I may it. end up ordering some caps again and try round two, but because it was only like two or three dollars for the caps shipped. So I may try that again. Doubtful. So that's Oxy three. Um, I'm going to try to get it rebuilt. I have another ESC in my Nova 450 that I had some tail case stuff that broke, and it needs a, a full tail case. It's twenty dollars, and I'm tired of messing with it. Uh, I think I'm going to pull that Hobbywing 50 out of it. I just fly that machine too hard, and then I think I'm just going to give the heli away. So if anybody listens to the show and needs a uh, 450 trainer heli it'll come with blades and parts and motor you'll just need to get an esc for it uh the tail servo i did switch to a kst 215 so i don't know i think i just fly it too hard and i'm i can't just hover a machine around end up breaking stuff and working on it more than i want and now i need the esc out of it so it's gonna be gone They don't sell that 50 anymore. I think the only way you can, I think that it's now a 60. Yeah, it's the same right? thing pretty much. So I don't have a problem with either one of them. So that's the small stuff. Um, the 7.2 I went out last week and tried to do a maiden on it. Normally I'd walk out into the dirt and grass past the runway just in case something goes wrong. Took it off and the tail felt real loose and floppy around i just was hover you know just doing a hover test so i landed the machine went into the jetty to the brain integration and for some reason the head holding was off so i turned the head holding on moved the gain up a little bit put it into a hover the tail was a lot more locked in no issues so i started uh my normal say maiden routine is just, just to do a right pirouette on the machine and just hold it so i was sitting there doing a right pirouette about 20 30 feet up and all of a sudden the machine stops pirouetting and Ooh. starts going back the other direction. So as soon as it started slowing down, I ended up um, kind of resetting myself and then I didn't hit hold immediately. I kind of got my bearings and it started pirouetting to the left a little bit. So I hit hold and landed it, but I'm not really good at pirouetting to the left. So the landing was a little joshy, but not crazy bad. Well, it's in one piece, right? Yeah, it's in one piece. There's no canopy on or anything like that. So That's awesome, man. I walked up and the tail servo was stripped out. I could just move the blades back and forth. So went back home. I ordered a gear set. They came in yesterday. The gear set came in. I started pulling the servo apart and looking at all the gears in the servo and everything looked good. <laughs> I didn't see any stripped gears. So I put it all back together and it's working normally. I did check the top case, the top case hole. Uh, wasn't round out or anything. Uh, the horn that I have on this is a KST adjustable horn. So I think plausibly I didn't tighten that screw to snug the horn down, but I ended up moving the tail back and forth, back and forth a whole bunch, maybe 
40 times just back and forth, back and forth and putting a load on it. And everything seems like it's holding correctly. I move the endpoints in just a touch from the ends just in case, but I need to get it back out and fly it again. So that's that I did make, I took a, a scorpion, a scorpion, a spider battery stick pack I had that's from 2015. I took it apart and ended up splitting those into saddle packs for this heli. Uh, they're really old batteries, but they still work. Uh, at this point, they're still flying good in a 12S setup. So we'll see if five-year-old batteries. I think Carter flew them for a year or so, and then he gave them to Danny, and Danny stored them inside his garage for the whole time. So they've seen some heat and some some damage. But... That's that. The TS-100 I got in uh, from my buddy Rick. That is working good. I do not, there's some stuff I don't like about it. I don't like that it's so small. The size of it is very, I mean, it gets up to, you know, 300, 400 degrees. And it's, it's, I like to have something a little bit larger where I can keep my hand away from it. So I don't accidentally touch the iron because we've all done that in the past. (laughs) At least I have at least more than once. So I was looking on Thingiverse and found that there's a, some 3d print files that have holders and a whole bunch of stuff for it. So we'll be looking into that, getting some stuff printed to at least make it. So it's a little bit larger, like a regular soldering iron is. That's kind of what I want to get it to. So when I hold it in my hand and I'm soldering something, it feels normal, not like super small. But as far as the usage of it, it's great. I still need to learn the menus and how to adjust stuff on it. But as far as just straightforward changing temperature and stuff, it it solders great. I have no problem. May end up trying to see if there's a super fine tip for it out there. I haven't really looked. I know they sell different tips, but I wonder if they sell a surface mount, like something for the night blades or something. Make it a little easier. We'll see. I haven't looked into it yet. Speaking of soldering irons, uh, I have the same soldering iron that you do, the TS-100. When we spoke about this, I don't know, a few weeks ago, we talked about a Heiko soldering iron. And the Heiko soldering iron that I have is a, uh, I believe it's a FX-888, which, and all that is is a 65 watt soldering iron station comes with main unit plus a holder that has the copper brush in, inside of it and then the pencil and that you can put it in that holder. Anyway, those Amos 150 connectors that several of us use now. Yeah, those are the ones I'm currently using. Yeah, that's the soldering iron I use to solder those together because the TS-100 will work, but it takes just a little bit and that Heiko of mine doesn't take any time at all. Mm. And there's a broad selection of tips. I didn't really have a problem when I soldered this uh, castle 160 up and put them on there. Now the bigger cable, like a number 10 yeah. wire, it's just not easy to solder with, with for me. It, uh, it's not easy. It's not as easy to solder using that TS-100. I think the TS-100 is a great soldering iron 
for the right application. I just think that there is certain applications that's out of its world. Yeah, maybe it's just I'm so used to using a 25 watt iron compared to something. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> My expectations of the iron are quite low <laughs> from what I used to use in the past. So on a flying routine, uh, I've been slowly working on a flight routine. I find that I I need to start with something technical that takes up a little bit of time. If not, then it's going to be very difficult to get three and a half minutes of a flight routine in. So I came up with, I don't know where I came up with it. I started doing this hovering diamond, I call it. At first, I wanted to do pirouetting to the right and moving the model to my right and up, kind of making a diamond formation. And then at each corner, maybe, you know, in the end doing a half pirouette flip and moving to the next, to the top center, left and right, just doing different stuff. But I found that just pirouetting is very difficult in moving the model around. So I switched to just doing a 180 of this maneuver. So tail in in front of me, rotating to the right, nose in and then just making that shape with doing hover maneuvers it's still very difficult kenny talked to me the other day and said maybe i should just start trying to do it as far as tail in and then do it side in and then do it nose in and then tr then try to transition into actually doing the rotation so we'll see i'm going to get out this week and maybe tomorrow and practice it a little bit and then after the diamond maneuver I've started doing, if you remember when you called me out, Brent, on doing the hurricanes, uh -huh. how I started that maneuver with the half pirouette flip. Yeah. So I do that maneuver where I do the diamond, bring it back in front of me, and then do that half pirouette flip into a backwards hurricane. And then as the model passes me inverted, rotate the tail into a nose first hurricane, and then as it comes by me the second time I need to work on going into a stall turn and then transitioning into the counterclockwise or and start transitioning into the clockwise orientation of that same hurricane. And then from there, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's about 30 seconds of flight. So the diamond takes some time up. So that's, that's, I think it's good for me to start with something technical that's hard. And I think it's, it's, easy to not crash trying to do that maneuver, but it is all over the place at this point for me. It's something I need to work on that it doesn't tax my batteries a lot. It's not easy to do and it's pretty easy to not crash. So I think it's something good to start with. Yeah. Sounds like it. We'll see in the future, but that's all I had on my list as far as what I've been doing for the last two weeks. Hopefully, hopefully the weather cools down a little bit, but the forecast here is it's going to get even hotter. So yeah, same here. I'm going to have to go earlier, go late. So. Well, it's uh, today was only 106. Only, only, only. 106. Gotta there get the... was no wind for a little while. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, it was hot. Got to get the hoodies out, you know. That's cool weather. <laughs> you get the hoodie out just so you can stay in the shade. Yeah, yeah. So, so what you got, Kenny? 
you asked me to try the diamond and see what I thought. Yes. And so I did work on the diamond and I've worked on it for two days. The diamond is basically, I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a F3C maneuver. I had no idea. If it is, I didn't steal it from him. But it is a it is a F3C style. What you're trying to do is you're trying to hover through through a specific prerequisite uh, routine. And one thing that I, I know, and I've been using the 516 for this, uh, and I've been working on that, just doing that. And the 516 is not really the best model for it because it's too small, too fidgety. It's the way I have it set up is is not necessarily for F3C style flight. It's uh, now I'm not set up as a uh, on the ground in your face, you know, get it. It's I'm I'm past that stage. You know, it's it's uh, as Bert Cameron would say, I'm I'm in the old man 3D section. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the way the model set up is set up is is important. Um, so twice now I've done just the maneuvers, you know, and then went out and flew, and then came back and did something again. But twice I just did that the entire flight. So using a a six S forty four forty five hundred milliamp battery and a low head speed my longest one was seven minutes, nine seconds. Nice. And all I did was what you, what you said now, uh, taking my suggestion that I made to you, I did that myself, just uh, starting out on my left-hand side, looking at the side of the model. And then as I'm going back to center, which is straight in front of me, I'm rotating the model to the right and, whenever the model that the idea is is timing whenever it gets in front of me that the tail is looking at me but i don't stop i keep on going back to the right and i'm trying to keep it in the same line that's a challenge by itself <laughs> and so i just did that back and forth for a few times and i got better at it but if you don't practice that hovering style flight kind of like that the t thing that curtis talked about once yeah i mean we've talked about several times but if you don't practice that it's it's not necessarily in your flight envelope because you're used to that model going from left to right right to left and doing something in the middle of it and now you're trying to tame it down and just do that one thing and that one thing has a lot of there's a lot of cyclic input Absolutely. Compared and you can, to the orientation of the heli. And you can see that through the whole thing. And, you know, like the gain that I had with the lower RPM, I should have shot that gain up, crank may, it up. Maybe make it hold a little bit better. Yes, because still I'm flying, I'm flying at a lower head speed, but I don't have enough gain now on the head. And yeah, it wants to waller out on you. It's just, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, uh, it falls out easily. I started out doing that and then I did the whole diamond thing and I'm trying to put the pirouette into it. So looking at my left, the left side of the model, coming back to the middle, then looking at the right side of the model, 
and then as I'm going up on the right, uh, coming back to center uh, to the first point of the diamond or the middle point of the diamond, to the top. I'm to the top. Uh, the first time I did it, I tried to rotate the pirouette the model as I'm coming up through the diamond. Yeah. And that's a challenge. I find the first portion hard. I, I think that the, the second, there's obviously four portions of this. It's the lower right, the upper right, the upper left, the lower left. I found that the lower right was the hardest to, to get that model moving, but I think they're all very difficult. Well, you have a lot going on when you're trying to put collective rudder and cyclics <laughs> uh, using trying to keep the model stable with elevator and feeding it aileron. It's just difficult. Up one side and then back down the other. And I find the coming down on the left-hand side is harder. Yeah. I, I, by the time I get there, if I make it there, because if I screw it up real bad, then I just start over in the beginning. But if I do make it there, I'm just in a rush at that point. I'm just rushing through the movements and it's just all over the place. But kind of the, what I'm looking at on that and, you know, at my stage in the game, I'm in the hobby. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm still winning. <laughs> I'm looking at that as a challenge now, but I've got to set up the model to do something a little bit different. And if I can learn how to do that, that is going to make my overall flying, I, I think it'll make it better, especially in the hovering part of it, because that's just not something that I do. It's not in my, it's not in my flight envelope of what I typically do. Never has been. I still think the maneuver would look really cool if, since we kind of have an understanding of what we've given it now, uh, that if in portion one, you were right side up, and when you got to the stop of portion one, you did a, a pirouette flip, and then did portion two, and then pirouette flipped portion three, pirouette flipped, and back to the center. Well, I think it would look really cool, but I, I do too. I that. think it's <laughs> extremely difficult because now we're having to to do the diamond in portions inverted instead of right side up. Oh, I think doing that is. We'll have to ask Nick to do it for us. Like I mentioned to you the other day, uh, I would challenge a pro to do that. You know, that's, I think that's a complicated maneuver of what you're trying to do. I think it's doable. And I don't think, Oh, I didn't say it wasn't doable. I don't think it's extremely difficult. I mean, I mean, if you want to add a, a difficulty to it, switch the pirouetting directions at each point. No, I think it's complicated enough already. But I'm not going to be. Do it with Piro TikToks and changing the direction of the Piro TikTok at each point. Yeah. It's not, it's not for me. I can tell you that. Well, I'm going to keep on working on it, but Good. I need to have a model that it, maybe I need a fourth bank or something, something a little bit different to where I can change it up on how it, how it flies. Yeah, definitely a different setup. That's something that's probably good for me to try to do is at least set up maybe a dual rate switch that switches all the rates down. Yeah. Something. But I still need enough to get out of trouble because I'm going to be getting in trouble a lot on that maneuver. Well, I <laughs> my last flight of the day today, 
I would have actually flown longer than seven minutes, nine seconds if my ESC wouldn't have overheated and shut down while I was about 25 feet in the air coming down off of this left side diamond. That's not good. At a low head speed. I still caught it and I still landed it, but I was like, whew, <laughs> that was close. Yeah, the end. Yeah. Yeah, because if I crash that one right there, I don't have another main gear and I don't know where I'm going to get one at right now. Buy mine for $600. Um, <laughs> no, thank you. Here, let me think about that. No. Think about it. So what else you got up? Get off of the uh, F3C maneuvers. Yeah. Boring people to death. Well, this next part's going to bore people to death as well. Uh, it's something that I have thought about for a long time and... I am not the expert at this. There is a lot of people out there that is, you know, a thousand times better than at this than what I am. So I'm only going to talk about this at a 40,000 foot view. A buddy <laughs> of mine by the name of Bob mentioned that recommended that I talk about it at a 40,000 foot, foot view. So I'm sure most everybody in the hobby has heard of Tyrannus. And that is not a mainstream radio that people use in helicopters. You can see it on airplanes. You can see it on especially multi-rotors. Uh, the, the reason why I'm somewhat interested in that is because I just want to learn a little bit more about Lewis grips. The, the Tyrannus itself, I have one. It's a, I bought an, an X9D plus SE which is kind of based off of the 9303 back in the day. I don't know if you re remember that radio, if you had one or not, but the 9303 was a, it was an awesome radio, just the way it felt, all of it. And that was a JR radio. Well, Tyrannus, they kind of used that same body, the case off of the 9303. And, the thing about the Tyrannus is it's the functionality without boundaries. It, there's a lot of stuff that you can do with that Tyrannus, a lot of different things from different mixes, different tying channels together. Good luck. <laughs> using Lewis grips. Huh? Good luck. I, it, it, I, am, I am a type of person where I need boundaries. I need, I need walls up so I can just stay inside of them and be safe. <laughs> well, and me too, you know, but it, it's just something that I've always wanted to learn. And I know some people that, that has used this in the past. Uh, Chris Boltinghouse, <laughs> I'm sure you know him. Yes, I know of him. Chris and I were real, well, we are, I, we're still friends. I just haven't seen him in a while. I actually spoke with him yesterday a little bit. Oh, really? Um, like yeah, speak, he was... Speak or text messaging speak? Uh, on this one here, it was just text messaging. But uh, Chris and I have talked quite a bit in the past, and he was the first one that introduced us to Lewis Scripps on, the, on a Tyrannus radio. And when we looked at it, he was, he was looking at uh, self cell count, cell voltages, um, 
current, RPM. He was looking at, at several different things and he was flying a Thunder Tiger. Oh, what was that? A 550? 550E with the motor in the back. I, I believe so. And he didn't have that model a, whole, a real long time, I don't believe. But that's the first time that I had seen it. And so we've kind of looked at that at a distance for a long time. Well, a friend of ours, he, he has one of these radios and, and he's put a lot of time and effort into learning Lua scripts. Lua scripts is nothing more than a programming language. When I say nothing more, I don't mean that as in <laughs> that is simple. No, it's not simple. It's, I had, it's, I had, I had some, some grips on my bicycle when I was like 10 years old, but we didn't call them Lua scripts. <laughs> there you go. And so it's just something that I want to learn. Uh, so I've kind of embarked on that, the, the sea and we'll see journey. where it goes on that journey and we'll see where it goes. That's good. I mean, it's something to keep you out, keep, keep your mind occupied. Well, and that's the thing. It's, I've been in the hobby a long time. I enjoy the hobby a lot and I'm not going anywhere, you know, but th this is just something that is outside of the norm. And I just, it's something I would like to learn. I heard one of the other podcasters uh, and I, which, uh, which podcast was, was it when he said that if you could put open TX, which is the, when you buy one of these Tyrannuses, it, uh, it's a free sky. It comes with free sky. Fry sky. Uh, I think it's fry sky. Fry sky. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Yes. It comes that it does not come with open TX. Open TX is the open uh, source software that you put on after the facts that really opens up these doors to a lot of possibilities. Yep. Where the heck was I going with that? <laughs> uh, you talked yourself into a hole. I talked myself into a hole. I, uh, I really wasn't listening. No, that's okay. It's, I mean, I get it. Anyway, he, the, the gentleman said that if you could put open TX on a mainframe radio, that's where I was going on a mainframe radio that it would be perfect. Sign me up. Here's my credit card now. Yeah. I, I, I do remember them talking about that. Yes. It was very brief. It was a very brief, uh, yeah, he the I think one of the guys I don't know I don't remember exactly what he said, you know, but basically he derailed the conversation. Well, I hope you have fun with it at least. I mean, or learn something. Hey, if I can learn something, then I'm all for it. So this is the second time you've had a Tyrannus, right? Uh, yes, this will be the second time I had the Tyrannus. I think the first one that I had, I I I said the heck with this and i sold it uh to a friend of ours that turned around and sold it to another friend of ours richard yeah that would be me <laughs> and i turned around and sold it to somebody outside of the group so it was gone it was a good radio um i i learned a lot on it i, I wasn't into all the open source stuff one of the things about the radio that you, the old one that I had and 
uh, Joe had and then you had is that radio was kind of like their $170 radio. The one that I have is a $250 radio. Hmm. And when you pick up the radio, you know, it, it feels like a radio. It looks like a radio. It's actually not that bad. I mean, it's the gimbals feel good. The knobs feel good. The, they're smooth. They're not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not this piece of crap that, you know, you see something on uh, talking about my jetty overseas somewhere. <laughs> no, no. I think jetty is a fine radio. I love my jetty. Yeah, it's a good this radio. This is just something that's just out of the box that I just want to try. We'll see how it goes. I mean, you have to keep us up to date on it and let us know if you give up or if you get tired of beating your head up against the wall on it. Maybe there's somebody out there that can help a little bit more than our buddy Bob. Yeah, I think Bob knows quite a bit about it. Yeah, he knows a lot more than me. <laughs> so we'll get into the main topic. We'll move the uh, what's new and buy and sell after the main topic. His main topic is going to be a little, wouldn't call this one a difficult for me to get through, but this one we're going over batteries. When to get rid of them, how to check the IR on them, when to buy new ones. So I'm going to try to drive this as best I can with my, uh, my crappy notes I have here, guys. But So we have battery. You have two ways you get a battery. You get a battery brand new or you get a battery used. So the IR depends on your start for the battery and depends on the milliamp size of the battery. Different batteries will have different IRs as far as where they start at. What is IR? The internal resistance of the battery. Okay. Is that, is that sirens at my house? Are they coming for me? It must be you. It's not me. They found you finally. They found me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a good night last night, but geez. Not the rest of them. <laughs> so the IR of the battery, the internal resistance. Um, we talked to a couple people on this. They pretty much said the IR varies from battery to battery and size to size and the age of the battery. So from what I got was to take a baseline start IR reading. If you're into this, I'll go over how I handle the situation at the end. But if you're into measuring IR battery and monitoring your battery over its lifetime take a baseline reading at the beginning this baseline reading you need to take with the same tool you can use your charger normally has an ir reading where you're you can plug in the charger and it can show you the ir of every cell or you can use a meter which is a wayne giles esr meter uh, kenny has one correct yes i do and how does that work exactly? You just, since I don't have one. Well, you plug it into a pack. It has, so it has a main lead and then it has, the one that I have is an older one. There, there's a newer one. So the one that I have has a uh, balance lead that has two pins on it. And whenever you plug it in, it looks at, before you put the pins in place, it just looks at the, the battery itself and just gives a total reading or measurement on the uh, resistance, internal resistance. I, I think the ESR is equivalent series resistance. <laughs> I'm still winning. 
So it's just looking at the overall resistance of the battery itself. Okay. Yeah. So it, it just it just outputs a number to, for the overall. Yeah. So I'm looking at one right now. So I have a 2017. It's a Genzay's 5,000 milliamp pack, and I'm connected to it without anything else, just the main connectors, main, and, and these are EC5s. And it says the ERC, ECR meter pack ESR equals 24 point in time, nine ohms resistance. 24.9? 24.9. That's an overall. So now I'm going to check the individual cell. I was like, that sounds high per cell, but I'm not a mathematician. So when I look at this as an individual cell, it has 3.16. That sounds more normal. And this is a 5,000 milliamp pack? It's a 5,000 milliamp pack. And it also looks at the, says this particular cell is 19C. So I'm going to set this one. Is that Pac-Man? So I've set the capacity to 5,000 milliamps. Uh, it says max current that this can output is 99 amps at uh, 19C. So it gives you more data than just uh, It just gives you more data. Just something to baseline off of. So that Wayne Giles meter is ESR is good to have if you're into monitoring your packs over the, the lifetime. Obviously, you have to document where you start at, where where it is currently, right? Yes. So the biggest thing on measuring and, and checking this internal resistance or the Wayne Giles meter, however you're going to measure it with your eye charger or whatever charger you're using if it puts output data, is you need to have the, a constant as far as the environment the pack is in. You need to have the pack in the same temperature state, whether it's inside your house or inside your garage or so forth and so on. You want the temperature of the pack and not just the outside temperature that we're in, but the actual temperature of the pack you want it in, a, in its resting temperature of the room. You also want the voltage of the pack to be the same every time you check it. Probably 3.85 would probably be a good position to check the pack in since that's the storage voltage of the pack itself. So the next thing is the physical data. So physical data. You need to, what, what does a pack look like? Is it tacoing on you? Is it, is it puffing like a sausage or is the pack nice and solid after you fly does the pack come down hot like what is the pack telling you physically giving you data back as far as it's the condition of the battery because we're we're talking about when to dispose of a battery when to retire a battery when to go buy new ones four is to look at the physical what's the pack telling you back to yourself itself next on the list would be voltage sag in flight are you, if you have telemetry data, what kind of voltage sag 
Are your flight times getting shorter? What's the voltage sag of the pack itself doing in flight to you? Uh, I've got rid of packs in the past because of voltage sag. I was hitting, I think I kept moving my alarm down farther and farther, and I think I was at 19 volts a cell in 3D flight. So got rid of that battery. Next on the list is we can, I have never done this myself. A lot of this I've never done, but get in that to the end how I handle it. But as far as taking your baseline reading, when you get the battery, when you get a new battery, after you've cycled it and warmed it up a little bit, um, you can do a hover at like, just do your normal hover at your normal head speed. If you have data logging, look at what the voltage is. Just do like a 60 second hover and see what your start voltage was and your end voltage was for that data log. And you can record that. And then six months later, obviously you need to have the same ambient temperature outside, but you can look at that 60 degrees, not 60 degrees, the uh, 60 seconds for the hover and see what your start voltage and your end voltage was. And you can see if your pack's starting to like sag on the voltage because now you have a baseline, the whole thing if you're going to start watching your battery is get a baseline of where you start from and where you're currently at and monitor that data and you can start seeing if your pack is starting to have less voltage have less milliamp over time correct <laughs> everybody's muted but me <laughs> no i'm listening now i'm just lear i'm learning I like, yeah geez. Class, I need some participation. <laughs> so, <No. laughs> so, couple things. I still have um, more. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> no, please continue on. You were talking about checking your voltage uh, at the beginning of a flight, and then flying at sixty seconds and checking it again. Yeah, uh, so you're going to need some data logging to be able to pull that off. Right. So one of the things that I've done in the past is on the FMA, Rev Electrics, uh, the Power Lab chargers, uh, there's data logging where you can cycle a pack. And um, if you save that information, you know, you, you charge a pack, you, you buy one brand new and you're cycling it. So if you, if you save that information, you're going to see a graph in there and you're going to be able to see each individual cell. Much to, um, how much of a load does it put when it's discharging on that FMA bump charger setup? Well, I'm not, I don't know how much load that is. On, on the FMAs, it's not going to be as much as if you buy a unit that, that puts out, you know, a 20 amp load versus a 10 amp load. I wonder if, I wonder if there's a way to hook up uh, the hooligans guy should know uh, if there's a way to hook up the bump charger and incorporate a, a unit to put a load on the battery as the bump charger monitors it. I, I don't know. What's his name? His name is Ed. Ed. Yeah, I wonder because I know Ed has a bunch of those discharge units. I think he has three of them or four of them, the different brands of actually be able to hook up and discharge your batteries and stuff. 
wonder if you can hook the discharge up to the battery, but have the bump charger monitor the discharge speed or rate. If that makes sense. Well, I know somebody that does have one as well. But yeah, the bump charger definitely uh, keeps the good logging data would be a good baseline system. I don't have a bump charger, but I know the bump charger does do the data logging for conditioning. Well, that's where I was getting at. If you do that in the beginning and you just monitor it over its, the course of its life, then you'll see, you'll see the voltage as it drops uh, over time. Cool. All right, so the, another way that to deal with this is to tell if a battery's going bad or not going bad, it would be called the punch factor, the punch effect. What kind of voltage sag do you get under full load, whether, I mean, you don't have to be even a Smack 3D pilot or something like that, just doing uh, full collective climb outs and then monitoring what the voltage sag, the max voltage sag during full load, whatever the full load you as a pilot can put on the machine in a safe manner, put that full load on it and then see what your voltage sag is. Obviously you're going to have to have some type of telemetry data or data logging to have this, to have this effect. Uh, we'll drop another one in here. Um, let's say you normally fly a four minute flight Brent and after you land, you check the voltage of your packs and they're all at 3.75, right? And then as that pack is starting to get older, you're doing the same flight, the same timer, the same routine, and you're coming down and you're at 3.65 or 3.55. It may be a sign of that pack is starting to to go on you. And you, you'll, you'll probably get some physical feedback from the pack also at that point. You'll probably see a little bit more swelling. <laughs> uh, the pack will be hotter at that point more of the physical feet. So you'll, you'll get the flight time is starting to be reduced because of your end cell voltage and the, the temperature of the pack, the physical feedback that the pack has given you. One of the things that on the jetty, whenever I'm flying the 516, the battery that I have on there is a little bit older. When I say a little bit older, it's, it's approaching two years old now. That one, when I... When it comes off the charger, uh, I'm usually at like 24.9 volts. It, it, it doesn't carry it up to 25 volts anymore. Used to it did. But I'm, it tops out at about 24.9 volts now. When I start flying at the very beginning of the flight for about the first 30 to 45 seconds, everything seems fine. But if I punch it, uh, so full collective, and I run about 13 degrees of pitch. But whenever I punch it, uh, I'll get a voltage alarm. And I have... What's your voltage alarm set to? 21.5. Yeah, so the pack I got rid of, I had my alarm set to 19. <laughs> so that's where the voltage will, will uh, uh, go off at or the alarm will go off at is, is 21.5. Now about two and a half to three minutes into the flight, if I do the same thing, I'm down in the twenties now. Yeah. And so the, the pack is degrading over time in the, in, in flight, 
do you have multiple alarms? Like I've, I only have one alarm. It just, it tells me milliamp or, um, it tells me voltage, battery voltage, right? Is there a way to set up alarms for each, let's say 21 and it would alarm voltage 21 or voltage 20 or voltage 19. Is there a way to set it up for that? I don't know. I was, I was just asking a question. I believe the answer is yes, because whenever it calls the voltage out, it's it's calling the actual voltage. Okay, mine just says milliamp alarm. I, I don't have a setup like that. I need to work on that. Yeah, I have I have milliamps. I have voltage, um, and obviously, I need to put temperature in there now. Yeah, I have temperature. I I haven't been running temperature. Yeah, I have a temperature alarm that tells me. ESC temperature. Yeah, it's I need one. to do that. So it doesn't fall out of the air. <laughs> Literally. Did you get any data back from that temperature, like what the temperature was? Because I don't I don't have any baseline of like like I normally monitor temperature just so it starts giving me alarms so I don't keep doing like you know four point TikToks on the machine when it's starting to get high on temperature type of deal, but the only thing I was doing was hovering. That's, I know, but what was the temperature? That's that's my biggest thing. It was 106 degrees outside. <laughs> <laughs> that's not my question, damn it. <laughs> no, I just, I, uh, I, the guy I was flying with, I told him, I said, I need to hook this up and, <laughs> and pull the information out of there so I can see it because I, I don't know what it is yet. I haven't done that. As long as you have the data, I'd, I'd like to know what what that ESC shut down at. If it was the temperature issue, you can let us know. Kenny, three three D hovering the machine to death. <laughs> All right, next on the list is the outside temperature compared to your data or flight data. So I've heard of people in the past when it's winter time and it's twenty degrees outside, actually putting their packs and heating pads on the car or in the car. I think that was Ed, but there's people that heat their packs up, preheat their packs before flight. And the reason behind that is the cooler the temperature is, the less the less C rating you're going to get out of the pack. And the warmer the temperature, the more C rating you're going to get out of the pack. Would you agree? Yeah. Cold weather affects the output of how much punch factor you're going to get out of the pack. If it's cold outside, it's freezing outside and sorry. If it's freezing outside and it's cold outside, the punch factor of your battery air quotes will be lower. So preheating the battery in one way or another, if you live in a cold climate, which, you know, I think in Texas and Arizona, I think we're, let me check my, 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 my book real quick. Yeah, I I think we're okay. I don't I don't think we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> okay, maybe two weeks out of the year we may have to uh, leave the packs in the car. But for the most part, I think temperature, high temperature, is more of a problem than a low temperature. But it kind of goes into the when you're monitoring it. Remember the temperature right down and the temperature of when you started seeing issues with your battery or when you're checking your battery, so forth and so on. 
Well, today is the second time that I had a warning that uh, that the motor shut off. You didn't desolder a EC5 again, did you? I've never desoldered an EC5. Uh, hold on, I'm waiting for it. Yes. I'm waiting never for the done. knock. I'm waiting for the knocks. <laughs> Continue on. Now I've. I've brought them down pretty toasty at times. We were at a field in Austin. It's called Arca. And it was hot outside. And I don't even remember which batteries these were. But we had a refrigerator uh, that had a top freezer to it that was right there in the area where we pitted at. And... uh, I remember bringing the batteries in and I mean, they were hot. I, I overtaxed them. Anyway, I put them in the freezer and on Monday I called a friend of mine and said, Hey, (laughs) if you get time, do you think you can run over there to Arca and open up the freezer and see if I left a couple of batteries in it? Oh shit. Luckily that thing, I don't think actually froze anything. I think it was more of a refrigerator (laughs) up top. In a box on uh, the bottom. Well, it had ice in there. Oh, okay. Then it was a freezer. Well, the only thing is, is, is the batteries wasn't fully charged. Uh, they were definitely low. But he went back over there, and sure enough, they were there. Good. So, Kenny's freezing batteries. <laughs> Storing them for... No. <laughs> the next episode so that's speaking, temperature okay go ahead i was just going to say speaking of that uh, where do you store your batteries i used to keep batteries in just rogue place of course i you know look over and i've got an opti power yeah battery that's probably old as hell sitting right next to me but i have i have ammo cases for batteries that i'm not going to use and they have the seal removed. I have three of them to the left of me here. My normal flight battery case, because I have to use stick packs now, Walmart sells a black uh, toolbox type thing, kind of your normal house-looking toolbox. It's black with uh, a fold-over lid. I keep my stick packs in the bottom, and then the top of that toolbox has Velcro. So... My smaller batteries for the Oxy and 380 stuff get Velcroed to the top and the larger stick packs go in the bottom. And that's my normal storage for... I had to switch to that toolbox because of the stick pack factor. Uh, The normal ammo cases don't really hold stick packs very well. And I try to keep all my batteries... As I look to the right of me, there's probably another one on the table. (laughs) I try to keep my batteries in a fireproof case I am obviously not very good at doing that, but I think that's a great idea is to keep your batteries in some type of metal container. I do coat my metal containers with Plasti Dip spray, or if you have a gallon of it, work even better, just to keep any connectors from shorting themselves out. So is your battery container inside of a in an area that is climate controlled? So yes, my shop is 
climate controlled when I keep the AC on at the beginning of podcast. <laughs> but I try not to keep it in my car. Um, I have caught myself. I'm better at not leaving. Let's say you go fly for the day and you get home. You're like, I'm done. I'm brain done. I need to go inside and have a beer. And you go inside and you leave your car in the driveway or on the street. And you know, two days later you go out there and you're like, Oh, I need to go to work and get in your car and you open the door and it's like just asininely hot inside the car. And then you look at yourself in the mirror and you realize, crap, I have $200 of lipo sitting in the back of this car at 150 degrees. It's probably not the greatest point to have your lipos. Don't leave them in the car. Um, I've heard of people like having like 12 volt uh, refrigerators in their car that they keep their lipos in. I mean, that's an option, but in the climate that uh, Brent's in and we're in Kenny, I would try not to leave the lipos in your car. I, I oopsie and do it every now and then, but um, even if I don't take the helicopters out of the car, I've started to get into the habit of grabbing my black, you know, toolbox that has all the lipos and just getting that out at minimum. Like when I get out of the car, let's get the most expensive part of this hobby out of the car. <laughs> the last thing I want is uh, to go into my car and it's full of smoke ash. Even if it didn't burn down because it's in a metal container, you're still going to get smoke on everything. It's going to be horrible. Does that answer your question? It does. I don't leave my batteries out in the, I'm actually really good about that, not leaving them in the car. They're all inside the house under the AC. Brent, where do you where do you keep yours at? Uh, just in my hobby room area. I have them in a uh, one of those lipo sacks. Um, but now that I'm getting more and more batteries, I'm going to have to find a bigger solution for that. But and I'll I'll post this on the. Uh... Facebook page guys, just so you can see what kind of box I'm using. Cause I know a lot of people use these ammo cases and they're really good. They're really good until you get into a stick pack configuration. Yeah, and that's and where I'm at. Kind of so don't really work very well. I'm going to have to find a different solution. Yeah. For stick packs. So that's a black box that I have from okay. Walmart. I think it's like 15, 20 bucks or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, at least it's metal, you know, and it's semi vented. Uh, the small batteries, I use Velcro on the top. So we get back on the list. So we did the temperature in flight, the difference. You know, if it's cold outside, you guys might want to pre-warm your packs. As far as I wanted to go, how you guys dispose of them or what we're going to do with them when we decide we don't need them for flight packs anymore. Kenny's trying to hit 10 this this episode. All right, I'm going to mute it. No, I'm fine with it. I'm completely fine with it. So I normally, um, sometimes I'll, I've done the putting the batteries in a bucket with salt water for months and months and months. I'll just, you know, put it where it rains and I'll just pour salt in it every now and then. And the batteries just sit there. I've done, I have a hairdryer for discharging my batteries. It's my wife's old hairdryer that I put an EC5 on. I'll plug in the hairdryer and leave it outside on the concrete for two or three days just to completely discharge the battery. And then I'll just leave it outside on concrete until 
I decide to try to put an L through it. And I'll put an L through it. Sometimes they'll hiss just a little bit after doing all of the discharging, but for the most part, they're normally good to go. Batteries Plus will take batteries. You can just drop them off. I don't know what they do with them after that point. They just go out back and shoot them with a BB gun. <laughs> you know, the BB gun may be a better option than a board and a nail. I'm going to have to power up the air BB gun again. No, just take you a hammer, I mean, a shovel and walk up to it. And I have done that too. Cut it in half. I did that on the Oxy 3 at the flying field when I tacoed that pack. I, I grabbed one of those those big heavy plane holder things and just picked it up above my head and dropped it on the battery. And it didn't do anything. But uh, the other thing is, is if you have a pack that's old, I don't know if you fly smaller helis, Brent's or not, but um, I have some old 6S5000. I wouldn't call them old. They're just not flight worthy as far as a 6, 6S5000, 550 no, size say, heli. I would say five and a half years old is pretty old. Those are still flying. <laughs> Carter took very well, very good uh-huh. care of those. Obviously, he didn't yeah. fly them at all. Yeah. They're, they're, they're still going good. So, normally, I keep uh, 6S5000 batteries. I have a case with uh, some Kazel chargers that Shannon sold at Only Fine Helis. Um, I, I use those 6S5000s because they're 24, 25 volts to power a charger. And I use that charger to charge my oxy batteries. So those 6S5000s, I can get three to four charges on an oxy three battery in the middle of a field with no generator, no charger, no AC power. So they don't put out the C, but they still have the capacity in the pack themselves. So if you're using it as a power source for your charger, they, they work in those circumstances. Obviously, you can't charge a 6S5000 off of a 6S5000, but if you have some 180 packs or some Oxy 3 packs or Oxy 2 packs or even 380 packs, you can at least get one or two charges out of a 6S5000. And the pack is still stable, so that's good. That's what I use it for. Have you guys ever discharged, uh, over-discharged a battery on purpose? On purpose? On purpose. No. So we were at, just to tell a story, we were at Cajun Helifest uh, two years ago, I think. And we were night flying, spotlight flying, and I had my Oxy 3 out. And Sloan, a buddy of mine, was like, oh, yeah, let's do this. And I was, my alarm went off, and I was like, I'm having such a good time flying. We're going to fly it to low voltage. <laughs> I mean, they're Oxy 3 packs. They're only, you know, 15 bucks a piece. I was like, if it doesn't recover, it doesn't recover. But. So awesome. Speaking on that, what do y'all set y'all's low voltage alarm or y'all's low voltage to on the ESCs? Or do you set it? Three volts. Yeah. So the lowest it, it will go currently, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I do. Do you set a low voltage print? No, I haven't. Um, I don't really go under my, I one of those that my alarm goes off and I just land. So it's usually right at storage voltage so if you want to buy batteries don't buy them from me buy them from brent (laughs) (laughs) sounds like he takes a little bit better care of them yeah and i always storage charge them every time i come back from the field nice really anal with my my batteries let me know if you ever want to get rid of any (laughs) that's really bad (laughs) i take crappy care of them so on a wrap up on 
this whole topic. If you want to monitor and watch your batteries, that's how to do it. If you want to take good care of them like Brent, put them at 3.85 when you're done charging them. Don't keep them in a hot place. Don't keep them in your car. As far as me, I'm kind of rogue in between the two. I normally try to monitor the battery voltage itself during flight and the, what the punch factor is and what my voltage at the end is and the physical condition after a flight, what the battery's telling me. That's how I deal with it. You guys can make your own decisions on which path you want to take. I don't think either path is wrong. If you're more of a technical person, you want to monitor everything all the time and graph it and put it in Excel, that's completely fine. Does that make a lot of sense, guys? Yeah. Um, let, let me ask a quick question real quick. Storage charge. Uh, you mentioned it just a minute ago, and, and my, my brain went south. What do you typically do storage charge at? So, man, this is, this is kind of in the middle of the road here. Obviously, Brent says after his flight. So do you fly it, Brent? Mm-hmm. And you just cut yeah, on the night you cut your flight and i put it on yeah when i get home i put it on my uh my eye charger and then then storage charge them so brent puts it on his eye charger and brings it up to voltage capacity so i normally take two packs to the field i set up my timer on my machine so when i land my helis are about 3.8 um and I probably just yeah. leave my packs at 3.8. Sometimes if I, if I know it's the last fly of the day, God, everybody knows you don't say last fly of the day. <laughs> I learned that back in the early 90s. But um, I'll cut that flight a little short, so I know I'm leaving it about 3.85. But I don't, I don't ever go home and charge them back up to 3.85. Being storage charge. I just mm-hmm. leave them at 3.7. I normally don't charge them. Now, if I pull a pack down, like I just said on the Oxy and I, you know, fly it to low voltage or I know I'm under, I took the flight long 3.65 or something. I'll put it on the charger and run it up and just stop the charger at three, eight ish. So three, seven, eight, is that close enough? You know, it all depends on how much your OCD is or how expensive the battery is. I think that that definitely plays a role. I mean, if you're flying, you know, $250, $350 batteries, you know, I'd probably be a little bit more protective or cautious on those batteries than I would on an Oxy 3-pack that costs 15 20 bucks. And you, Kenny, how do you take care of them? <laughs> I Actually, I try to keep them in that 3.8 range. But my question on all of that is, is maybe somebody can – chime in and tell us on uh, on the page or call us and uh, make a recommendation <laughs> or make a comment on this is 378 close enough to 3.8 i mean i would you- say it is i don't i don't believe i believe i would like to know what the difference in let's say if somebody took two batteries and you know they bought two packs whether they're 12s or 6s 5000 i'd rather be a something not six s five thousand words you tax the pack a ton but you'd have to take two batteries at one at three seven all the time and one at three eight five all the time and right. see what the life pan or the or the uh what's the meter called 
the ESR meter and see what the ESR meter between the two is. And I still think depending on pack to pack, you may get different outcomes depending on the manufacturing of that, of those individual cells. Okay. So uh, another question, is there a difference between storing a light, a lipo and let's say a refrigerator? You ever heard the, if you put a uh, nickel metal battery, like, or the little triple uh, A, double A, nine volt, whatever batteries are, it is, do you just put those in a drawer in the bat in the cupboard or do you put them in the refrigerator? So I normally keep all those in the refrigerator in our house, the double okay. A batteries and. And as do I. But I don't know. I think, um, I think I've heard people say, if, you know, if you're not going to use a battery over, you know, a couple of months, let's say if it's in the winter time and Javier is not going to fly for four months and he's only going to sim, you know, it'd probably be good for him to put all of his batteries in a container in the refrigerator. It'd probably be a better place than, you know, put them all at 3.85 since, you know, if you're going to store charge them and it's snowing outside and put them in the refrigerator. I think that... Uh, when you start talking about storage charge or you start talking about keeping a, a battery, a LiPo battery, uh, and you're going to store it, I think it's more important not to store it with a fully charged battery as yes. a fully charged battery. Mm -hmm. I would yeah. agree. I would agree that if you have to keep it at three, or let's say you do keep it at 3.7 and you don't fly for two months, it that is better than keeping at 4.2 and i honestly don't have an opinion on that part of it i don't know yeah you fly two, two times a week well i i know people that fly more often than i do but i fly as often as i can, as much as i can i agree i'm just giving you crap <laughs> or distracting you from what you were gonna say <laughs> But you may have distracted me. <laughs> you know people. I, if if uh, if you charge a pack at the field and you don't get to fly that pack, and let, let's say you know this past Friday I went out and flew, and there was a battery that I didn't get to fly. I know that because it just happened, and I flew that battery today. Um, I think that's okay. Yeah, I think from what RCHN, the Godfathers, talked about, they said, you know, two to three days is fine. If it's going to be seven days, you know, put it on some type of dis discharge. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't intend to do that. It just happened, you True. know, and, mm -hmm. and things happen with batteries. It's just we are talking about something that's highly volatile, you know, so we have to do our part, especially when we store these things in our home. Yeah. 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 I've known people that have put them on a charger and that stopped the charger and left them hooked up and wake up the next morning in their garage full of black soot. So you have to be careful. Hopefully, actually, I don't want to touch on this real quick. I was wanting to Google. So I don't really have a, any of you guys have fire alarms in your workshops or hobby shops or. I just have them in our house. Yeah, my I have it in well my my hobby room is in the house, so 
It has one, yeah. I was thinking about this the other day about doing research on the smallest one I could get and see if I could put one on my charging case itself. Mm. And then I've also thought about they have to have Wi-Fi ones at this point, right? Like, so I could put one in my shop, but if I'm in the house and if it goes off, you know, it alerts me via Wi-Fi. I've also thought about unhooking the speaker and running two wires into my house. So the speakers in my house, but the actual detectors in my shop. Anyway, we're talking about safety and house burning down. I have a better idea. Just think about this. What about an alarm that goes off on your model and says, that says you're not flying me? Well, it would be going off too too much in my house and people would <laughs> get annoyed and wouldn't be able to sleep. Mine, mine normally alarm and they say, sell me, sell me, sell me. That's with my alarm. <laughs> yeah, we don't like you, Richard. Yeah. Sell please, me. <laughs> please sell me to a new home. <laughs> That's battery wrap up. I'll try to look into some some fire alarm type stuff and we'll try to get that in. I'll drop that in the next episode. I'll try to see if there's what options we have for that type of setup since it's a volatile Kenny said. So. Well, at the end of the day, a battery goes up in your house. It's, that it could be really bad. Yeah. The wife's not going to yes. let me do the hobby. Anymore. I mean, She's gonna be pissed. sitting here talking about it. I got on Amazon and I ordered a bag. <laughs> <laughs> Something for my stick packs. I did. You need to go on Google and look and see how good those bags actually work. And you may I want to cancel your order. I don't want to do that, but it's probably better than what I've got. True. It, it is better than nothing, but go look at some videos. Those bags aren't really uh, what they're all set up to be. Uh, I think Pulse sells a box also, a fireproof box. I heard it on another podcast also. So we're going to wrap that up as far as batteries and such. If you guys have any questions, uh, email Kenny. <laughs> I gave you all the information I have. I just use them. Hey, uh, it, it's it best practices, right? Yes. Best as best as you can do in my book. Best ish. Best ish. <laughs> practices. Uh, on to news and announcements. We have the sob goblin kraken. 580 yeah, I saw a, a couple, like a picture or something yesterday. I didn't see any info about it, but was that the red one? Yeah, it's like a red and it's pretty cool looking. It's red and black and I white. Think I think it was a 700 because that had the carbon pipe on it, right? I, I saw the picture also, but it had that MRCI pipe on I it. I can't remember. Which makes me think it's not a... 500 not i don't know if they make it M, mrci um 55 pipe because i believe they had an M, mrc pipe oh so we're okay gonna, so it may be news it may be fake news i wouldn't doubt they're gonna have a 580 kraken yeah i mean either they're gonna make it or somebody else is gonna make it as i'm sitting here don't think they do stuff. right now no I don't think it's a bad idea. I think it's going to be difficult to swing a 55 on 600 blades. I think if they did do the kit, in my opinion, they should make it a do either both or make it a 91. Either going to be an add on or it's going to be a full kit. 91 105 size. So you could have a 105 on 600 millimeter blades or 620s mm -hmm. on the same airframe. 
uh, I believe some of line guys have. I've done it in the past. I put a 91 in a line 600. It's not easy. There's a lot of okay. wallering out holes and getting alignment correctly. Yeah. But a 600 size machine with a 90 size motor in it is very fuel efficient and very powerful. You just need a good governor to control the overspeed issues. We'll see. I hope they do make a Goblin Crackling 580. I will not be buying it, probably. And the Oxy 5, is that getting closer? So starting to get into final test phase. That I saw a picture of a bunch of canopies. I think they're getting ready to send them to, I don't know, uh, team pilots or something. So I saw something a few days ago about that. Hopefully Luca gets that out. Yeah, it looks like it. So I buy and sell off to buy and sells. Did you ever get a motor Brent? I did. I found a Scorpion 453540 World Speed Edition motor. Got it off of a Heli Freak. Good condition. So got that in. And then um, I went ahead and ordered some MS composite blades to try from uh, Aeropanda, the rapid blades. So I have those coming in next week sometime. So what size are those? Uh, 700s. How much were those? Yep. They're only like 90 bucks, huh. like ninety, $91, something like that. Yeah. So I give them a try. Um, that's what uh, Danny, I was talking to Danny Melnick, and he runs those on his uh, Soxos too. He I'll likes put, them. So. I'll have to put that in the show notes, the link to them. That's, 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 a, yeah. that's a decent price for a set of seven, 700 millimeter blades. Yep, and he has he just got a order in, so he has, has them in stock right now. Because I had, I had them on pre-order, and the pre-order just came in. So, Cool. Yeah, I've got that same motor in my Agile 7.2, but mine's used and old and okay, the can's cool. all faded. So. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> but so far, it flew good for one flight. So buy and sell for me, I have picked up a 3D printer because of, I've found some logo parts I can print. I've found the TS-100 parts I can print. So I finally, after many, many years of wanting to get a 3D printer, I have bought a 3D printer. Sorry, Mike Sobey. Wait, I'm I'm gone a week, yeah. and you guys yeah. are turning Sorry. this into free Sorry, fall? Mike Sobey. I was going <laughs> to say I was going to say that. <laughs> Dang it! May end up in a. Uh, I just oh. give it a little time. He'll it'll be for sale. No, no, it's going <laughs> to probably stay as long as the spark has. So there's some spark parts I can print. The one thing that I really want to print after I get it set up is I picked up a logo 550SX V2 crashed for a good deal from a guy. I haven't actually paid for him yet, but by the time this airs, I hopefully would have paid for him and he's out of town right now, so he can't ship it. So so I'm going to go back to a logo 550SX. Uh, this one's crashed, has a broke frame, but comes with blades and I got a really good deal on it. So. Do you guys remember on the front of the logo 550 how it's rounded where the ESC sits? Yeah. Yes. Uh, on Thingiverse, they actually have a 3D printed part that goes on the actual curve of that front and makes it flat. So nice. I thought that was cool. So there's a couple things I want to do in print, but man, there's a bunch to learn. It's almost like Kenny's radio 
journey, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to learn what software and I actually got a couple of CAD programs downloaded so I can actually, like, you know, draw a circle and see if it'll print or there's a lot for me to learn. It's I've been staying away from it for a long time because I don't, I don't know if I was actually ready. I don't even know if I'm still ready, but <laughs> hang on now. Were you drinking when you bought that? Uh, I, I wasn't drinking when I decided to buy it, but I was drinking when I bought it. <laughs> That's why you got it. I did some research and, you know, in two days, it'll be my birthday. So it's just an excuse to spend some money at this point. But yeah. So if you guys need anything printed, let me know, but I don't really know how to print anything or how to do anything or how to set <laughs> it up or how to hook it up or build it. It's almost like it's almost like being getting into the hobby. Like like as I'm like researching stuff, I feel like I just picked up a mall helicopter and I want to buy something more and I have no idea how to program something or do anything. That's what I feel yeah. like. <laughs> just go ahead and make a make some Star Wars characters. You know? Yeah, I already downloaded Baby Yoda, so all right, there That's you go. Gonna be the first uh, screw up, I guess, at this point. <laughs> so, cool. That's all I have. Um, we went over the main topic. We got that in batteries and what everybody's been doing. Um, I appreciate everybody listening and downloading. We were trying to get close to a, a thousand downloads, which I guess it's a mile marker at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome we get to 10, I'll try to decide if we need to get into verses or uh, stick with chapters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of something, something different. You got recognized for calling it chapter nine or chapter eight versus. Yeah. They're just laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> it is different. I like it. It's different. That's who I am. Do like to do different stuff? Not the run of the mill, but We'll see. The podcast is going good. I've got some positive feedback from some people and I relayed some of that to you guys. I believe we're doing a good yeah. job. I think every two weeks is about perfect for me, giving me time to do an, you know, a week edit, try to do, you know, 20 minutes a day and I'm pretty much done by Sunday. So yeah, I think that's well. about all awesome. I have. You guys have anything else? coming up on our nine o'clock mark, which I try not to pass. Everybody's got to work tomorrow. So I'm going to go fly. <laughs> yeah. I think that everybody's got to work. I don't know. Are you working right now, Brent? No, no, I'm still off. Um, until the beginning of August. So, or no, end of July, end of this month, actually a few more weeks. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be going back for, pre-service days and then starting teaching beginning of August. Well, just give me a heads up if we need to change the time or date or anything like that. I know situations are changing daily around here everybody in the world work life is changing and switching yeah. and changing up, but you guys or if anybody else out there wants to be a guest or jump on, let me know. I didn't get with Magnus. I need to, I need to just record a episode with Magnus whenever he's available, just to get him back on and see what he's doing. So I'm going to talk to Ed and see if I can't get Ed on the podcast. He's, he's always full of knowledge when it comes to 
FMA Chargers. Uh, and I, th- I think the bars are all still closed, right? Probably. So I don't, I don't, I don't think we can get Ed on the Scorpion Bar still, still shut down. I don't think they're serving <laughs> at this point. So I think it might be a little difficult, or you may have to get with Congress or the state of New York to get the bars back open so we can get Ed on. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, we'll have to see if <laughs> see if we can pull any strings in the government to get the bars open in New York so we can get the Scorpion Bar back open. We'll see. By I the definitely way, I'm still winning. Ah, uh, you're all, you turned it off or what? I just turned it back on. Well, I was gonna see if you Googled how to turn that on or off. I haven't figured it out. That's good, Brent. You can take us out. Uh, I believe. Everything on the outro is still up to date. Oh, there goes Kenny again. There we go. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. Brent can take us out. All right. So if you want to contact us, uh, you can message us through the Facebook page, uh, Houdini Heli Podcast. And then we want to say thank you to the other podcasts, the Heliheads, Skids Yard Sale, Gucci and Fence Post, Freefall RC with Kevin, Steve, Andy, and George, Skids Up with Paul, Frank, and Javier. The BK Podcast with Burke and Kyle. Telerotor with Rich, Michael, Robert, and Mike. Inverted Down Under with Ozzy, Mozzie, and Jeff Smart. RC Element with Todd. And last but not least, Bill and YouTube. And if you need to get a hold of me, you can contact uh, the podcast at HoudiniRCHeli at gmail.com or get in touch with me on RunRider or Facebook. Facebook run rider or heli freak at R Spiegel on Facebook. I'm Richard Spiegel. If you need to get a hold of me, Kenny, how would they get a hold of you on run rider and heli freak? I'm just Kenny S. And then on uh, Facebook, you can message me at Kenny Sierra. On to Brent. Yeah. You can message me uh, through my Facebook. uh, If you search Brent Gottlieber, um, and also on Heli Freak through Teacher Brent. Sweet. That's it, guys. That's the chapter nine down. You guys stay in the box. Be safe. I'm out. Awesome. Later. Talk All right. To see you, later. you guys. Bye.